We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Before we get into today's show, I want to let you guys know about some exciting stuff that happened on February 29th, a day that happens usually only every four years. And we all know that February 29th is Tyrese Halliburton's birthday, which Fachi alluded to last episode where we wish Tyrese a happy birthday. But Caitlin Clark, Iowa standout. She is an incredible basketball player, the leading scorer in women's college basketball history, made her announcement that she is entering the WNBA draft. And oh yeah, the Indiana Fever are taking every bit of opportunity to play off of this hype that is going around right now. They're posting their, their ticket sales right now. They put a little hourglass up and said... You know, NBA draft <laughs> coming up soon. And Caitlin Clark liked that tweet. So it's pretty exciting. Aaliyah Boston, last year rookie of the year, all-star. Now Caitlin Clark. We we might be looking at the WNBA's version of when the Magic had back-to-back picks in the 90s and they got Shaquille O'Neal. And they did take Chris Webber the next year, but they traded him for Penny Hardaway and got a ton of draft capital with that. So I'm just saying they're not going to do that with Caitlin Clark, obviously, but just the Penny Shaq. Uh, combo was so so fun to watch in Orlando and now we're getting the Caitlin Clark and Aaliyah Boston you know duo right there so I call it the ABC squared combination I'm excited to see how that plays out so I know this is a Pacers podcast and that's about the fever it's a little bit different obviously we don't talk about the fever too much on this show actually hardly ever but I thought it was worth mentioning just because about the amount of buzz that is going around you know the, the, the basketball world with Caitlin Clark uh, officially entering the WNBA draft. So really cool on that end. But in terms of uh, another Pacers-related news, former Pacers big man Scott Pollard, I'm sure you guys have been keeping up with his story on social media. He needed a heart transplant, and right around All-Star Week, I believe it was, he was able to get one. And so after 13 days, you know, post this heart transplant, he got to ring the bell today. So uh, he's looking good. He's looking healthy. He's walking on his own, all smiles. And he was asking what song he should play when he rang the bell. His wife, Dawn, posted that. So just a really cool story for Scott Pollard to be able to kind of, you know, uh, just beat the odds. There was a lot of doubt about what was going to happen with Scott. He needed a heart transplant badly. And so was able to find a donor. And, you know, thank goodness for that donor being willing to donate their organs. And so now Scott Pollard has a new heart and he seems to be doing really well so continue prayers for the Pollard family as he goes through this transition but still really cool to see him back on his feet so with that being said we're going to bring on the Pacers pod father from Miller Time Pod back you know in the early 2010s 
Dave Cyril. He's he's retired from podcasting, but you know it was it was good for him to kind of dust off the old voice and, and get back on a pod. He's been on a couple different podcasts since the Siakam trade. I've heard him talking about the Pacers recently, so really cool to have him on our show and we talk about this Pacers team, a little bit about All-Star Weekend and all that stuff. So uh, with that being said, let's go ahead and get to Tyrese Halliburton and Chris Denary. This is Tyrese Halliburton and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Indiana, home of Pacers basketball. Miller for three and he got it. Legends have been born. Miller retreats Memories have been made. Caliburton, a deep three for the lead. And Great basketball has been played. Nembhard away. It's a three in the In 49 states, it's just basketball. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and But this, this is Indiana. And you're listening to Setting the Pace. Let's go! Your go-to Pacers podcast. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. We got Pacers hooping. Let's talk stats. Hot takes. All facts. New topics. Updates. Three pointers. Fast breaks. We keep scoring. We don't need to stop. New episodes, weekly drops. This your number one podcast. Sweeping every team, we gon' need a mop. Setting like the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. All right, everybody, making his return to setting the pace. It's been a hot minute. It is the Pacers Podfather, Dave Sorrell. Dave, thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It's uh, uh, a wonderful uh, time to be a Pacers fan. It was fun to get through All-Star Weekend. I will never quite have one like that um, again, I don't think. Obviously, being the hometown team and seeing how much they were all incorporated uh, into uh, that event was really fun and, and getting around the city and all of that. And I still think there's a little bit of an afterglow on that with like kind of the team and the, and the feelings around it. So it's uh, a lot of good vibes for the uh, to, uh, to, good time to be a Pacer fan, I would say. Mm-hmm, yeah, for sure. Were you at All-Star Weekend? Did you get a chance to experience any of that? Well, a little bit. And so I took my son down and uh, they had advertised this like experience that was supposed to be with like 2K sports, but also like anime stuff and like Japanese culture and like. Uh, my son uh, likes Pacers and likes basketball, and he like loves like anime, and all of that was together in that description. So I was like, let's go down. We'll go check it out. It took us forever to get into the actual downtown area. We paid like 30 bucks for parking. We waited in line, and we got in this thing, and it was like this tiny room with like two little things to do. It was a very, very big letdown in that respect. So I was like, oh, no, this is my son. We did all of this. And and it wasn't really that great. And so I said, well, let's just kind of try to walk around. And we tried to walk around Georgia Street, and it was like 20 degrees. And he was miserable. And there was like a basketball hoop. He's like, you want to shoot? I was like, I don't want to take my hands out of my pockets. And so <laughs> we walked down to the arena, and we tried to go to the team store. And they're like, oh, we can't go in until 4 o'clock. And so we're like, oh, my gosh. So we just kept trying to do a whole bunch of different stuff. And we, um, my backup plan was to go to the um, – I forget what they called it, but the in the convention center they had the big exhibit 
and you could buy tickets and like walk around and do stuff. And um, we were going to buy tickets in advance, but I thought, let's just go and scope it out. And if we want to do it, cool. And if not, then I don't want to pay the 60 bucks or whatever it takes for us both to go. We get there. You can't tell where the line starts or begins. It takes us forever to even identify where the line is. And then we find out it's like two and a half hours yeah. of a wait just to get in in the first place. And then you have to wait in three hour chunks. And then like by the time you get there, like this is ridiculous. So um, it was an awesome day with my son because he had such a good attitude about it. We actually had an amazing time uh, like talking and hanging out. But the actual event. That part of it was a little bit of a letdown. So uh, as far as like actually going on site, um, not as cool of an experience as, as I would have uh, liked to have had. Uh, but, you know, it was still cool having the energy around town and like the the days and weeks leading up to it, seeing everything that they did downtown uh, was pretty cool to be able to see. And, and overall, it was a real fun experience. So, but yeah, as, as far as in-person stuff, it was, that was a little bit of a bust for us. You think that the Pacers could have put on a, a better show? I felt like throughout All Star Weekend, I mean, they really represented in uh, you know each each activity, Skills Challenge, Rising Stars, uh, Halliburton in the All Star Game. I, I just felt like uh, they were on full display all weekend, and I thought it was great for uh, great for the nation to be able to see that. Yeah, I think that it was clear how much they cared about it, and it seemed like they did a really good job of kind of seizing that opportunity. It seemed like anything that was involved at all with um, All-Star Weekend, someone from the Pacers was like there and representing the team and had a lot of energy. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton seemed like he was really enjoying uh, just being the face of the franchise, doing all that sort of stuff. And, you know, it looked like on the on the on the skills challenge, they they took it seriously. No one missed the route <laughs> when they did the 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 uh, the little dribble challenge part. Um, it's tough to watch yeah. the first two rounds where the other teams did miss that yeah. and had to go back. That was kind of embarrassing. But they clearly, they clearly really cared, and it made it really fun. And so, and you know, of course, uh, uh, Matherin uh, was very into uh, doing the the, the rising star, uh, rising stars game, and uh, yeah, everybody at every level that they participated in obviously brought it. Um, it was fun watching the the home crowd. Boo, uh, Lillard taking the final shots and, and getting the, <laughs> the MVP despite taking what twice as many shots as uh, Tyrus Halliburton did. Um, but you know, they kind of get robbed of the uh, MVP there a little bit, um, obviously. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, no, they really were prepared and ready to kind of seize on that as much as possible. Having the, the new LED court debut made that kind of a special one too. That was pretty wild to see. I didn't get there to like hit it with a sneaker i it's i'm surprised at the grip that it had mm. um i was a little worried that the surface was gonna uh you know you think that they'd spend a lot of money and time researching everything and making sure that um it is uh, up to uh, game quality but if you remember the synthetic ball uh when they the nba tried to debut that Mm -hmm. um i'm sure they did a lot of research into that but of course but it wasn't enough whatever it was and they had to pull it mid-season so you never know you test something in a lab and then you get some of the best athletes on the planet going all out uh, at an nba game for 48 minutes and sweating and all that stuff you never know how that's actually going to hold up so i was pretty impressed that that actually you know worked well it did help that they weren't really playing very hard yes. so i guess <laughs> we don't I don't know how that would uh, maybe um, handle a playoff game, but at least uh, I said playoff just now exactly like Jim Mora. That was kind of weird. I sort of channeled <laughs> his spirit there for half a second. But 
you know, uh, having that as a debut uh, was cool. But yeah, I mean, the the the, the, the plaza around the arena. I mean, the, they really stepped up, and I know they were really excited to get the All Star game. And I think that the Pacers uh, should be uh, proud, both uh, the players and the whole franchise. They really kind of capitalized on that as much as they could. That was really cool. They did a really good job. Even the uniforms look good. Mm, yeah, I'd say about two thirds of the time they do not look good, and those mm. uniforms are pretty sweet. Yeah, these were these were much better than ones we've seen recently in the past. So I agree with you there, and it was exciting. And and I saw a report today that said that they love the way that Indiana hosted, and so they're going to be looking to have more bigger events in Indiana to host. So that does speak volumes to just how good of a job the city does, especially being in the Midwest. So uh, we're going to move forward now from All Star Weekend and, and kind of look forward for the rest of the season with this team and. Obviously, they've played a few games now since the All-Star break, but I, I'm kind of curious your thoughts on how you've seen Halliburton return from this injury in the play of late because, to me, he's not still 100% there, but I've uh, I felt like he's getting there. He's getting better. We're seeing uh, flashes of it, just not enough at a consistent rate in terms of what he was doing before, but just curious your thoughts on his overall play since the injury. Yeah, no, definitely not all the way there uh, by any means, and – I do sort of suspect, you know, when they keep hammering away as he has, and a lot of players have at the sort of, uh, you know, the 65-game rule, I do sort of suspect that they maybe came back a little bit um, earlier than maybe he should have um, in order to kind of uh, hit that requirement a little bit. And um, knowing that, uh, you know, a hamstring injury like that, as long as you manage it well, it is possible to play, but at kind of a reduced level. So I think we've sort of seen a little bit of that happening. I don't know how much of that would have happened if that rule wasn't in place. Uh, but I do kind of suspect it was maybe uh, something of a factor. So we're sort of watching him kind of get into game shape um, um, in real time a little bit. And not only has that affected a little bit of a burst, but when you don't have that burst, some of the more ingenious things that he is able to do on a night in night out basis. It's just kind of not there because, you know, it's a little bit easier to play defense on him when he, when he doesn't quite have um, that burst every single time uh, that he makes a move. And it's just been a little bit easier to kind of keep him in check. And it, a little bit of rust, I think even happens to some of the tougher shots that he gets near the rim uh, just don't seem to be falling nearly as uh, well as they did before. And it's tough to keep, a defense on its toes when it thinks, okay, until he really proves that he's all the way back, we can kind of let him go a little bit. We don't have to be as afraid of him driving. It's hard to hit clean step back threes when you're not as afraid of somebody blowing by you. So I think that a lot of that has affected um, his game. And, um, you know, he is really good at uh, reacting to a defense and, you know, fighting the little seam to make a great pass. But if that seam isn't there because the defense is worried, um, you have a little bit of a few of those opportunities. So um, uh, just seeing a lot of that, um, it was really cool at the end um, of, uh, you know, this most uh, uh, recent game, uh, seeing the Pacers, uh, seeing Halliburton kind of at the end, really hit that step back three, start breaking down the defense a little bit. You saw a little bit of that right at the end of that game. And that was a good way to kind of kick off hope that, Maybe they're going to turn it around a little bit there. But, um, yeah, it's clearly not 100%. Hopefully, it's just a matter of time. Um, and I think that, you know, maybe we're just getting a little bit more of a peak of a less than 100% Halliburton that we might have at a different time. It's just time will tell. I'm not a trainer. I'm not a medical specialist. Is 
him playing through this going to be something that makes it so that he never quite gets right until the offseason? I have no answer to that question. I have no way to know it. Uh, but hopefully, you know, uh, in the next month or so, we'll gl- uh, gradually see him get back to uh, 100%. Because obviously, that's without him being 100%, the Pacers don't really have a lot to do in this offseason, I don't think. Uh, yeah, offseason, I mean, postseason, of course, in the postseason. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, definitely. And I think that obviously, you know, he's the key to the Pacers' success. But even if Tyrese is not 100%, even over the last uh, three games where scoring hasn't been what it's typically been, still 30 assists to just three uh, turnovers. So it's been awesome. True magician with uh, with the rock in his hands. But uh, moving over to uh, someone, the, the big splash of this, uh, uh, this season, Pascal Siakam. When the Pacers added Siakam, it was a big deal. What has been, you know, your vibes on that early fit with uh, Siakam and this Pacers group. Oh, yeah. Well, um, you know, the thing that I was most excited about uh, with Siakam and the thing that – well, two things that I think would help them uh, grow the most beyond the fact that he's just an impact player at a position that they needed the most help at. I mean, that's like one of the best things you can do, take your weakest position and add uh, a two-time All-NBA player. I mean, that's obviously going to pay dividends no matter what you do. Um one of them, obviously, you know, on defense, his ability to um, impact on the defensive end, um, you know, whether that's uh, being able to uh, muck up passing lace, uh, lanes and uh, as a help defender, or occasionally, as we've seen, one of their biggest weaknesses is just, you know, very dominant guards being able to just kind of rip through the pacers. Maybe not all game being assigned as a stopper, but maybe one or two possessions at the end of the game trying to uh, make those stops. They don't have a lot of options when it comes to that. And, then you know, hopefully uh, he can uh, make an impact in that area. Um, but also it is his ability to uh, make tough buckets. Um, and, uh, again, kind of illustrating this at the um, end of that that Pelicans game, uh, you know, Halliburton hit him with a pass in the lane. He wasn't that open. He had a seam, but he wasn't that open. And he had to make it had to make a really tough bucket kind of falling off to the side. The ability to hit tough shots like that is just so crucial to their development, not just as a team that can, you know, maybe get in the mix for the four and five seed, but uh, get in the mix for higher seeds and to win uh, playoff games and win playoff series. They're, that kind of defense where they're really focusing on Halliburton, they're bringing hard traps, 
and uh, they play a higher level of defense, you're just going to see a much higher percentage of that in the playoffs. And when that happens, you need I mean, you're just not going to get open buckets all game long. It's just never going to happen. There's always going to be stretches where it bogs down and it gets mugged up. It's not the 90s. This is the Pacers Pistons, but there's going to be moments like that, and those are going to be the ones that decide the game. And the Pacers are a little bit short, or had been, at guys that could finish off of Halliburton passes when there wasn't a lot of daylight. Um, and so that's where Siakam, I think, is most exciting to me. Um, the all-around offensive game um, does help keep the engine running, but late game being able to create mismatches and exploit them and hit tough buckets very big if the Pacers want to win big games they need that and that's the thing that I'm most excited about that he brings to the table yeah I agree with you completely and I felt like the Pacers were kind of missing that one-two punch you just were never really sure who Halliburton's number two is going to be and now you clearly know it is Pascal Siakam and so that's the big thing here and then as they continue to grow together this season it's been a pretty small sample size of what they can become so I think that that's still exciting because they're continuing to figure each other out. But uh, another player that I think has a ton of potential, but he's been on such a roller coaster of a season is Benedict Mathern. It's mm -hmm. definitely been, you know, highs and lows. And even in games, he has highs and lows too. It's not just like a game to game thing. It's just like a possession to possession thing. So what have, uh, you know, you noticed from Mathern this year in terms of growth and maybe what are your projections for him moving forward? Um, well, in growth areas, I mean, I think, uh, you know, being able to to navigate uh, uh on defense is something that has uh kind of come and gone with him. That continues to keep getting tightened up, and he's making fewer and fewer mistakes. I think natural growth of a player, uh, um, of his age, um, uh, I would love to see him be more consistent on that end and be a kind of guy that you can maybe be a one on one stopper. But you know, we've got a little ways to go there, so. Um, uh, but also, you know, his ability to, to, to pass definitely is improving. So I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that you can just give the ball and create tennis as a game, obviously. And, mm -hmm. and, but, you know, just making the simple pass with somebody that's that athletic and someone that can slice into the defense and, and score tough buckets, you're just going to inevitably leave, uh, players pretty wide open and just being able to recognize that and deliver simple passes um, I always kind of call it uh, Dwayne Wade passing where, you know, he had a lot of assists per game, but he never really made like magical. You never have like this Halliburton-esque highlight reel. You're like, oh, my God, I can't believe he did it. I mean, unless he's just like whipping it the entire length of the court, you know, it's really about him just completely putting uh, enormous pressure on defenses and then just dumping it off to the guy that that's open. And, you know, uh, that's the kind of thing that uh, uh, Matherin needs to uh, be able to do consistently. Uh, to be able to continue to kind of really make an impact and be part of like a starting lineup ecosystem rather than just a lone wolf uh, kind of coming off of the bench. Um, and so he's he's doing it. Um, he, he doesn't do it every single time, but there's been very simple passes. Uh, of course, we don't sell the rising stars like behind the back pass. That was behind the head. That was pretty cool. But, uh, you know, it's a little easier to do and the defense is a little lax. But, um, um, yeah, just... He, he still misses plenty, but, you know, there are times where there's a simple double off the Miles Turner and he makes a simple double off the Miles Turner. So um, um, it's you don't need a miracle there, um, but you just need someone that's going to be able to uh, make that those simple two, three, four plays a game uh, to be able to uh, keep the ball moving and exploit it um, uh, when defenses pay too much attention. It does seem like he is 
Um, he got a good whistle um, earlier in his career, and he was hitting like so many crazy kind of circus shots inside. It felt like defenses had to get a little heavier on him. It seems like he's maybe a, struggling a little bit to kind of hit those toughest shots against defenses. And I do feel like defenses are standing back a little bit on him, not being quite as aggressive. And I think he does have a little bit of reestablishing of you just can't stop him when he gets inside and he gets any sort of room. You have to risk a foul. Um, needs to get that back a little bit. But, I mean, he's just young. I mean, he, it's there's a lot to process. There's a lot of growth that he's been um, trying to make. And, uh, you know, he's, like you said, going to have ups and downs. But, um, you know, it's I'm sort of almost avoiding the question of projections because I think it's just hard exactly how far he's going to go as a player, what kind of player he's going to be. Um, I think that, you know, you would be thrilled with um, like a truly kind of plus starter that could be very valuable in the playoffs. Again, same way with uh, Siakam where, again, he's a tough bucket maker, you know, and you need guys like that if you really want to li- win. Um, he is another guy that can develop that if he can do it consistently. Um, that is going to be a, 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 a tier of value above a guard that can shoot a lot and play solid defense. There's guys like that. It's not as easy to find guys like that as maybe people think, but still those are placeholders. If you want to have guys that are going to be difference makers, um, uh, then you need guys that are going to be able to have uh, uh, the abilities that Matherin has. Man, ceiling. It's just tough. I just don't want to say anything. It's um, (laughs) if you want to say a name, I mean, like, he might never make an all-star team. He might make five. I mean, it's just it's it's hard to say at this particular point. Um, uh, but you know, it feels like the areas where he needs growth are growable places. You know, like there are mm-hmm. things that you can develop. Um, and you know, plus starter in the league, one of the strongest. You know, three four guys on the team night in night out. I mean, I think that still seems very much in play for for Matherin. It might even be true of the team right now. Mm-hmm. Um, how whether he can go up and get to that All Star level, um, I am a, I'm less optimistic about that than I was as Ricky year. I would say I think mm-hmm. he might settle into something where he's just shy of All Star level as a ceiling. That's where it kind of feels like to me right now. Yeah, when you mentioned the, that just shy of an all-star level um, type of player, I think that's of a guy seal. like that's a yeah, 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 yeah. And I think of a guy like Monte Ellis had a lot of good years in this league. Was never an all-star, but was a very good player. I think coming into this year, I think a lot of us thought that Matherin could take that bigger step to an all-star. I think that at times we've seen flashes, but I don't think that anyone feels that his ceiling has um, risen from last year because I think last year as a rookie. Very, very promising now. Still don't know. Is he a starter? Is he coming off the bench? But transitioning over to another guy in his class, Andrew Nemhard. Andrew Nemhard, since coming into that starting lineup, I, I think has been a great fit for the Pacers. They've, he's been able to help them out defensively. Also been able to give them some good stuff uh, offensively. But do you feel that he's the ideal uh, starter at the two for the Pacers moving forward? For the season or like for as a franchise? Well, for this year, we'll say. Okay, for this year. Yeah, because I, I think I have kind of two different answers on there. You know, uh, he really reminds me of uh, George Hill um, in so many different ways. Um, and the fact that 
he doesn't have really a, a ton of flash to his game, uh, but he's just an all-around kind of Cabo guard-esque sort of player, I guess that you would say. Um, someone that's just always making smart um, a plays on both sides of the ball. Um, someone that I kind of trust more than maybe some other players uh, like Matherin that I think ha- has more talent overall. Uh, but someone that immediately I, I would trust in a winning situation game in, game out. And so um, I think he can hold down uh, that two-guard spot. Um, and um, you know, that would be my, that would my favorite in, in the, in the clubhouse right now to be the, the starter in the playoffs, just because you just feel like you can rely on him and having Matherin be a little bit more of a, um, assuming that, uh, you know, we get Neesmith back, but, you know, having coming off the bench a little bit and then maybe starting in the fourth quarter or starting at the end of games, a kind of situation, Having him, um, uh, Nemhard kind of hold that spot until, um, uh, you know, maybe Matherin had to come in at the end. That would be the way that I would say it. Um, I think that was going to happen. It's just, it still to me remains Matherin's job to take. You know, we talk about the consistency and we talk about the growth. If he can hit those good games more frequently and keep that up, then he does have a chance to get that spot. And, you know, the use the word ideally. Ideally, it clicks for Matherin, you know, it, and he and he takes off with it, you know. That would be to me the ideal, but um, you know, it's he's young, he's got plenty of time to develop. I wouldn't be that worried if he's not ready to go seize it right now. And I do kind of foresee that he would be uh, the starter uh, in the playoffs right now as it stands. Um, but you know, hopefully, Matherin does come take it from him. Yeah, I mean, and I think the the big reason why Matherin has yet to take it from him is just because of the consistency on defense. You know, Nimhart is easily the Pacers' best point of attack defender. And I know Kalen Cooper talks about it all the time. He does a great job of getting skinny during screen navigation. So uh, very, very talented in that regard and just a much better secondary playmaker. He's more of a natural guy that doesn't have a problem playmaking. And I think that just kind of makes it more of a seamless fit right now next to Tyrese. Um, neither of them have been lights out shooters either. I feel like the, the floor spacing would be huge from both Matherin and Nimhart if they could really keen in on that, like Buddy was so good at being a floor spacer. But, you know, it, it's just going to take time for them to figure things out. But I, I agree with you. I think Nimhart for this season for sure is the best option they have with the roster as currently constructed. But, you know, I am kind of curious with how it is currently constructed, how deep do you think this team can go in the playoffs? Because they've got a pretty talented squad they can compete with the best of the best but what is that ceiling in terms of how far they can go and um you, you say to getting a skinny on on screens once again the uh, ghost of george hill haunts yes <laughs> everything that he does you know yes such a clone in him in so many different ways uh as far as the playoffs i would say that um the the cap the cap would be i think going as far as they can without meeting Boston or Milwaukee. You know, Mm -hmm. I think as long as they avoid those two teams, then I think that they are winnable in any round. And that is not the disrespect uh, what the Cavaliers have done. I would favor the Cavaliers in this series. But I think that those two teams in particular, because of, uh, uh, you know, the strengths that they have, in particular, just dominant wings that the Pacers have no answer for. um, You know, those are, uh, they've been playing great basketball. They've, war tested uh, through many different playoff battles 
and then have that ace that is like the biggest weakness that the Pacers have. Um, I, it would just be, I think, very difficult for me to imagine them taking either of those teams down um, in a playoff series. But I do think that they have a shot uh, against anybody else um, in the East. And and for some teams, I think that they would be, you know, the favorite. Uh, but a lot of teams, it is a little bit more, um, you know, of a coin flip. Uh, maybe you give it an edge to uh, Cleveland. Obviously, something's clicked with them. They've been playing really great. And so um, that would be the one I'd be the most concerned with. But anybody else, I mean, I, I just see that uh, think that the Pacers have at least a 50-50 chance. And so, you know, it's um, I think it will be good playoff series, um, whatever happens to them. I mean, if for some reason they get a really bad matchup and they end up going down in the first, I think it will still be like a six, seven game series. With several very very good games, um, but I do foresee. I would be surprised to see them not make the second round in, in, in this particular year, and then it would just be a matter of uh, what team they ended up getting, and maybe you know the tough out in the second round. You know, I think that sometimes people can be sarcastic about that, but some of the best series I've ever seen the for play have been second round series. Uh, you know, against the uh, the Knicks or you know whoever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, for me as a basketball fan, I just want to see great basketball. You know, I want to see the teams play at a high level. And that's one thing that I feel very confident about, um, unless there is just, um, you know, the Halliburton um, uh, injury hangover just never gets shook. I do feel like the Pacers are going to be in very good form in the playoffs. We've just seen them come out of the gates so well. We've seen them obviously in the in-season tournament. Uh, we've seen them turn it on and play great games. Um, I do feel very confident that this particular squad will step up in playoffs and play very good basketball. And um, uh, I, I'm really looking forward to that element of it. And if the matchup gods are kind, then I think that they can go pretty far. Um, and, um, it, uh, you know, Ty- Tyrese Halliburton hitting step back threes at the end of games. you got a guy that could do that, then you can kind of win any game. Mm-hmm. I do think that this team has been battle tested throughout the year, whether it's the in-season tournament, whether it's just, you know, playing um, up to the competition in terms of the league's elite. Sometimes they've also played down to the competition, but I do think that they have had many tests throughout the year. So hopefully when going to the playoffs, it's not a, well, you know what, we've never even been in this type of atmosphere because they, they haven't, but I do think that in-season tournament gave them a good taste of, we can hang with the elite of the East Going to the second round, I think at this point would be, you know, a major win for this franchise that has not been to the second round in quite a few years now. But for my last question for you, I would just say, what's been your impressions of the 2023 draft class for the Pacers? And what I have absolutely shocked you if I told you that Ben Shepard would be the one that would be making a bigger impact this season than Jarris Walker, of course. Um, no, and yes, um, I think it would be more about, I mean. I am not impatient when it comes to developing like a 19 year old. I, I know that uh, Jarris is 20 now, but you know, he's obviously very young. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen enough flashes from clips, whether he's been playing in college or um, in the G league or the, the scant minutes we've seen with the Pacers. There's been enough that I've seen that I think, okay, you can see the talent you can see, especially when it comes to like the passing vision, when it comes to making kind of uh, special plays on defense, 
I still I see that in them, and so that doesn't make me very worried. And I know that this is a team with, uh, you know, they do struggle with uh, consistency um, from the wings, but there's still a lot of good players on this team, and it's hard to get minutes. And so I'm not too concerned about, uh, you know, letting him experiment while the team is uh, trying to win games. He clearly needs a lot more seasoning when it comes to consistency and being able to kind of read offense and defense on an NBA level. Um, every minute that he's out on the court. Um, that has been surprising to me. Um, with Ben Shepard, if you had said that, it wouldn't have been as surprising, but I would have just assumed that he would be just be on fire from three-point range. Like, this would be someone that um, came in and be, um, and was like an instant sharpshooter. The fact that he's come in and been like this sort of uh, energy guy that's making an impact uh, on, def- on defense first um that is a big surprise to me i i had no idea that that was going to be uh sort of a strength uh, to his game and um you know that is kind of a different form he's almost taken like a miniature uh a career um um arc like uh like neesmith did you know where he was also a guy that came to the league that was advertised as a wing sharpshooter and kind of came out and you know obviously with boston but when he came to the pacers really started carving out minutes because of his energy and um, effort and ability on defense. And then the shooting started to kind of come later as a backfill. And so it's a little bit of an accelerated version of that, but uh, we're sort of seeing that out of Shepard again, which is great. I'll take two of them. That, mm-hmm. That's for sure. Uh, that's been nice, but not just energy, man. I, I've just seen some individual plays where he's just gotten right into someone's space and then stopped when it was time to, you know, and so many, you, you, you see guards that get excited and they, you know, they get up in someone's space, but all they have to do is do a quick fake and then they get to the line on a foul. He's just been so good at just kind of knowing when to attack and knowing when to back off. And um, uh, that has been, that's a hard skill uh, to ha- uh, to get and kind of an underrated one, I think. Uh, but he really has that. So they, they made a big find there. Um, so um, uh, that is another kind of, I mean, uh, with uh, Nemhard, I mean, obviously they drafted him with Neesmith. Um, you know, that was a, a a trade. Another guy that they have put in very low talent capital in that they've been able to get good productive minutes out of in the wing. Um, uh, they seem to be having kind of a good eye for that um, over the uh, the last few years. And so nice to have a good stockpile of those players because, uh, you know, they were – the wing cupboard was uh, pretty bare a few years ago, uh, but um, he's been, a, been really awesome and, and fun to cheer for. And with Walker, I mean, it's just hard to have an impression. You know, mm-hmm. um, you can you can dissect uh, G League footage as much as you want, but until he gets to a point where you can see him on an NBA court consistently getting minutes, it's hard as an outsider to say much. Um, mm-hmm. I still like his talent. I think that they kind of gave him even more breathing room to develop uh, uh, with the uh, acquisition of Siakam. Um, you know, the, the need for him is a little bit less urgent. And um, it's, it, it's hard to say. Uh, it, it is nice that they don't necessarily are, uh, they're not desperate for wing players in the sense that, you know, not having them out there is crazy, but they also would love to see him come out and develop quickly because an impact wing would be a big deal. Um, so, you know, kind of a TBD, uh, with him, they can afford to be patient with him. Um, but, um, uh, I really hope to see 
him take some big strides probably next year uh, because mm-hmm. they, they could really use another player with that skill set for sure. Absolutely, Dave. And so as we wrap things up here on the pod, we have the last couple of, I would say probably like the last week or so, we've had some nice conversations about food takes in terms of sauces. And so sauces. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know if you're a Chick-fil-A guy or you're a Buffalo Wild Wing guy or not, but uh, we did a, we did a sauce draft for Chick-fil-A sauces. And then we also did one a couple days later with Buffalo Wild Wing sauces. So okay. obviously we're not going to do a draft tonight, but I'm just curious, maybe what are your top two sauces for, you know, at Chick-fil-A and maybe at Buffalo Wild Wings? Um, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm not a, a huge fan of either restaurant, but I do love wings, you know? Okay. And so we're talking about sauces on chickens. Um, and one, one take that I have that always gets a, a good reaction is that I think that like Buffalo for wings is one of the like lower tier wing flavors, you know, it's like the first one, but I'm not a big fan of Tabasco, like the flavor of Tabasco. I like a lot of hot sauces, but not Tabasco as okay. much, not my preferred flavor. It's not bad. Buffalo chicken dip is still pretty great. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, as far as wings go, um, uh, garlic parm is a, is a flavor that I like a lot. Um, it doesn't necessarily have a lot of heat, but I just think it goes really well with with a good chicken wing. Um, I do like uh, like teriyaki kind of flavors. Um, yeah. And, you know, if you mix in um, – uh, the, there's a lot of different names that, that people use for this, but you know, like like soy sauce and like honey and sriracha, and you kind of mix that together. That kind of flavor is a, is a good wing. I mean, it just depends on where you're at on that uh, um, um, how you end up getting that name. Lemon pepper is one of my favorites. Um, you know, where where I live in the, uh, the 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 rich northern suburbs of Indianapolis, there's not that many places to get lemon pepper wings, but I wish that there were more. <laughs> and whenever they do, I'm obviously very excited. Um, but uh, I wish I had more lemon pepper uh, um, access. That would that would be a way to improve my quality of life. But uh, those those are some of my my favorite kind of go to uh, chicken wing flavors if 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 they're available. Yeah, I was gonna say I those are you were speaking my language from what I drafted. Parmesan garlic was my second pick. Nice. I, I closed it out with lemon pepper as my last pick. There you uh, go. I took Asian zing first, which kind of felt like okay. what you were describing. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would be yeah. That's I'm sure that that is the 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 that version of it for sure. So it just seems like I dominated Fachi in this draft based on your takes, Dave. So <laughs> hey, I what based it. on what what you enjoy, you know, <laughs> I, I it's different. Ones. I can't even really remember which ones I had. Uh, Mango habanero, oh, a- honey barbecue. Um, teriyaki, some, you did have teriyaki, so you did have one. Yeah, of I did. There was some sort of buffalo in there. It might have been like mild buffalo or something. Yeah, you know, one, you one of those mild. Uh, I know, I've still never had lemon hot. pepper wings, so I, I do got to get around to it because now you know that's uh, that's twice this come this has come up in the last week. So I'm gonna have to get some lemon pepper wings pretty soon. Um, I'm sure I could find a spot near me. Yeah, and uh, the, uh, another flavor that's awesome uh, that specifically at, at Big Lug. Um, here um, in Indy, um, they have uh, like Nashville wings, you know, and they that was like, one of my that was one of my that was your last pick. That was my last pick. So yeah. now all of a sudden we might be swaying them a little bit. <laughs> look, I don't mind so. too bad. So. Oh, but more, more importantly, like uh, if it, what do you what do you dip them in? And if you get a dip, what do you? What do I you like dip ranch and blue cheese. I like both. I ask for both. I'm that guy. You know, sometimes they're like, ah, all right, well, we might have to charge a little extra. 
I'm like, just <laughs> throw it on the bill. All right. Throw I'm, that extra quarter on there, you know, because I want the sauce. I'm a ranch guy through and through, Dave. I, I love ranch. Not no no blue cheese? It's not my thing. I've tried it. Oh man. Oh man. It's just I, not my thing. I, I so, think Alex's sauce has started out pretty hot. Dave, I could be wrong. I really do <laughs> think, you know, we're starting to hit it off on these sauces together. So you're pulling. I appreciate the sales true. pitch, Foch, but this you're still neck in and neck house. right now. So I always like to, I always ask, like to ask the blue cheese question because, you know, um a lot of restaurants will basically take some ranch dressing and throw some lumps in it. And then they'll be like, this is it's blue cheese. Check it out. And yeah. so like there's a sometimes lot of you places. You can't even tell the difference. You know, sometimes it's like, ah, yeah, I don't really know what this is. And that clearly very, means they're blue cheese sticks. If you dip in both, yeah, exactly. And so, like, um, that was uh, one, like, um, no offense to Buffalo Wild Wings, but I, that that's one of those places where they might just kind of, like, stack them both up and just put an R on one and a B on the other and just kind of hand them out. Uh, but, like, a really good true blue cheese dressing is amazing and and you know what if you do if you give me an elite blue cheese and then i also have to get uh you know uh traditional buffalo sauce with that that's fine with me that's where i'm right on board i would say and, you know it's and um sauce rocks but i i still maintain technique of cooking the wings is the most important part mm-hmm. i mean if you if you get a place that can that can nail the cook of it then you can almost kind of throw anything you want on it. I mean, you could just dry up a little bit of salt and pepper on it, and then I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a sauceless wing is just the best wing if it's smoked correctly. That's right, and you know, it, it's it, smoking wings. Obviously, that's that's a whole other uh, uh, story that um, is uh, can get a lot of uh, elite flavors out of uh, wings too. But you know, some it, you gotta like toss the sauce and immediately serve it. Yeah. If you don't do that, then I don't want to eat your wings. You know, like sometimes you'll see a place and they'll and then they'll just sit there for fifteen minutes, and then you spend all that. I mean, you might maybe you didn't, but you know, all that time getting that perfect crispy outside skin and getting that juicy center, and it's all gone because yeah. you just let that you let that sauce just deteriorate all that cook that you you put on the outside. Uh, so um, you know that's where the dry rub comes in. If I don't trust you on your uh, your sauce delivery methods, <laughs> methods and just give me a dry rub. <laughs> no, I respect it, man. So, well, I want to thank you again for coming on and not only talking pace with us, but talking a little sauce and wings with us. It's always fun to throw in some food conversation on the show, especially since we're doing this daily. We always try to add a little bit more fun content to it besides just basketball. But uh, go ahead and let everybody know where they could find you at on social and plug anything you'd like to plug. Uh, you can find me um, at uh, Miller Time Pod on Twitter, um, and uh, I, I do mortgages now. If you're buying a house, send me a message. I'm happy to help you out. <laughs> there we go. Not not as cool as uh, as uh, you know uh, plugging uh, a, a Pacers podcast, but you know you gotta you gotta do what you can to keep the lights on. Absolutely. Hey, Dave, we really appreciate you coming through, and we look forward to having you back on. Cheers, guys. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.